This is episode number 36 of the Abuse Talk podcast. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my pain into a purpose. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and believe that together we are louder. Each fortnight, there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in with a conversation. By leaving a voice message, head to our website and go through Anchor. Share your thoughts. In this episode, I speak to Dr. Mary Polido, Executive Director of the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, the NYSPCC, and we're talking about child abuse through the pandemic. Before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to our main sponsor, Rockpool. They actually have their next Rockpool conversation booked in for the 8th of March. It's with Andy Brearley and he is a youth justice specialist with a multi-dimensional insight into the justice system. So that's on the 8th of March and it's free to join in. So check out their website, rockpool.life. I also need to say a big thank you to Katrina Hay and Susan Rahima for being patrons on the hashtag Abuse Talk tier. You can find out more about my Patreon on patreon.com forward slash Jen L. Gilmore. We've waited long enough, so let's get into that interview with Dr. Mary Polido. This is Dr. Mary Polido, who is the Executive Director of the New York Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, which is shortened to the NYSPCC. So, hi, it's lovely to have you here. Um, And firstly, I would love to know a bit of an outline of your career path and what's led you to, you know, being with the NYSPCC. Thank you. Well, and thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. Um, I I moved to New York City um, back in the 1980s because I wanted to work with homeless children. And there was a, a homeless organization called Covenant House in New York City, which took in all children under the age of 21 who uh, were basically homeless or whose parents couldn't take care of them uh, or they ran away from home. And I always wanted to work there. So I did go there and I was hired as the director of development and fundraising because I had been in a university in Connecticut, Sacred Heart University doing fundraising and they needed a director of fundraising. So even though my heart was sort of to work directly with the children. That was my way in. And I was passionate about that that cause. So I went and they hired me. And then I went back to school to get my master's degree in social work so that eventually I moved over to the program side and was able to run programs and start one for mothers and babies that were living on the street and get them inside. And uh, I worked there for 10 years 
and I loved it. I mean, it was just, it was very rewarding. And then I went to a long, I went to almost the opposite to a long-term residential program for children um, who had suffered horrific abuse and neglect called Children's Village. And then from there, I went to a medical center to run a clinic, a forensic clinic. It's called the Child Advocacy Center for children um, to get an interview if they've been um, identified as being abused. But it's a, a very special center because the police and the district attorney and child protective services and pediatricians and social workers all work together to minimize the trauma to the child that's undergoing um, an, an evaluation to figure out what happened and to bring the person who harmed the child to justice. And I did that for a while and I love that. But then as a social worker, um, I had the opportunity to run the first child protection agency in the world, which is the New York Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Children. And I couldn't possibly have turned down that opportunity. So when they asked me to interview, I was delighted. Uh, and I've been running that agency for close to 20 years. It's just, wow. um, it's, it's always doing something innovative and new. And it, it really, uh, it's mission to protect all children. is just something I'm very passionate about. Wow. I mean, you <sighs> Just listening to, um, you know, all the things that you probably have witnessed, you know, that I'm sure there were challenging moments in that. Well, um, it's clear you have that passion and you've obviously referenced that just then. So it'd be lovely to hear what has fired that passion up in you. You know, um, it's interesting. As a child, uh, my mother was a nurse and she was just all that she cared about was helping children and protecting children. And she had given me a newsletter from Covenant House when I was like eight years old and said, maybe someday you can help these children. And so from a little, just from a little child, I grew up wanting to be a social worker and, and going to, to, to work at Covenant House. And then I had an aunt who worked in child protective services as a social worker. And one day I was over her house. I couldn't have been more than 10 years old. And I heard her on the phone talking about a case where she went into a home and rescued a child who was tied up and beaten. And I wasn't supposed to be eavesdropping on her conversation. But little pictures have big ears and I was, but I was horrified that someone would do that to a child. And then I thought my aunt was a superhero. And I was said, oh my gosh, she rescued this child. This is what I, this is. And I grew up, never want to do anything else but social work. And I was, um, then I ended up at Covenant House and ended up as a social worker. But it's, um, it's the prevention aspect that also is very important to me because mm. child abuse can be prevented. And there are really, you know, direct steps that people, can, everyone can take to help protect children. And, you know, we've developed programs that protect children. And that's what fuels my passion and keeps me going every single day. That and the fact that even children that have endured really horrific abuse, they can heal. And with the right support and the right therapy and, and just, you know, the, for having one adult that, that they can just, you know, cling on to and can support them, 
amazing things can happen and they can recover and they can heal. And I think that's what keeps everyone at NYSPCC going. Oh, we wow. see those great outcomes. Does your auntie have any idea that um, she's the inspiration or that you eavesdropped um, behind what you're doing now? <laughs> yes, yes, she did. I did have, yes, she did. I, I have told her. She does know. Oh, wow. Oh, well, I, yeah, I imagine she's so proud of, of, you know, just what that outcome has been and probably not so good on the eavesdropping, but obviously what's led to this point. And she's been a mentor for me. I mean, she's retired now, but she serves as a mentor for me. And she's someone that I can talk to about tough, tough challenges in the mm. field and get, get her perspective on it. So I'm really fortunate. Oh, well, that's uh, that's lovely. Well, we're, we're talking about um, child abuse through the pandemic today. And of course, that's going to have had a major impact on not just the services, but what's happening in in the home. So um, has there been an increase then? Because I'm obviously making an assumption here. Um, do you know of an increase of child abuse? Well, you know, it, it's interesting. What worries me the most throughout the pandemic is that um, one, families are under tremendous stress. They have lost their jobs. There is food insecurity. Um, they, schools are now in the home. The, they have family members who may have COVID or have died from COVID. So the anxiety levels and the frustration levels, and I think just being uh, depressed and anxious has, has gone up. Mm. So that in and of itself is a worry and that the children are in home and out of school. But then when you, you know, you combine all of that, you know, with, with the fact that um, parents can be at their wits end, mm. you know, so, and they're not in school. Teachers are the main people that report abuse. And after teachers, it's medical providers. And right mm. now during the pandemic, Children are not accessing medical care and children and teachers are not, you know, have their eyes directly on the student. But what we've seen in the United States is a drop in reporting for those reasons. So, you know, and when you compare the statistics between the amount of calls that have gone on um, this year compared to last year, it's, it's, I think it was like 60,000 calls to the state, state central register in New York City last year. And it's down to like maybe 42,000 this year. Right. So you have to wonder, that's a big gap. That is. And, and, and what's happening to those children? Mm. You know, and, and, and the other thing that's concerning is that there's an increase in domestic violence that we know. And, and I, from what I understand also where, where you are in London and Britain, there's an increase in domestic violence. There's an increase in domestic violence in many countries, mm-hmm, right? Definitely. And, and when there's an increase in domestic violence, there's an increase in child abuse. They're highly correlated. Yeah, well, obviously there's that um, major gap, which I wonder whether that's going to change once the lockdown restrictions have um, taken place. But Um, Could you tell us um, what you think might have changed in the homes then of those victims because of COVID-19? You know, is it is it I'm assuming just from what you were saying with the statistics that it might be more hidden, uh, more discreet. Um, Do you think anything's changed there? Um, I I do think that 
I think parents are under tremendous stress. And when parents are under tremendous stress, they, they can lash out at their children. And, and the supports the parents normally have are gone. You can't just drop your child off at a you know daycare center and go do your thing or or you're you're worried about finances. Finances is also high anxiety. A lot of uh, the food banks have, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, they were running out of food. there's there's food insecurity. Um, and I think w- when you combine all of that, Parents could, if they don't have an outside support, if they don't have a neighbor that can come in and help them with the kids or, uh, you know, a partner, if they're particularly if there's domestic violence going on, all of those things can increase, I think, the danger to children, Mm -hmm. you know, which is why um, hopefully some of them can be seen through Zoom with their teachers because right. I think that that can be another way to sort of do check-ins with children and to see how are they doing in the home? What is what is the home like? Hmm. Well, it kind of leads me on to the next question. You know, how can teachers who are teaching those online classes um, spot the signs that there might be, um, you know, issues in the home or that child abuse? I mean, it, I'm sure it's very difficult, but there must be some signs to look out for. You know, First of all, I think the first thing that I would I would ask teachers to do is if children aren't turning on their cameras, that they need to explore that. You know, there's mm-hmm. reasons why children may not be able to turn on their cameras, but that that is one thing I think teachers should just be on the lookout for because you you want to do check-ins with the children. If teachers can do like daily check-ins and make the start the conversation with just so that children feel comfortable mm-hmm. with saying, I'm not so good today. I am good today, you know, and, and at least feel that they can have that rapport with their teachers through Zoom, because I mean, this is, you know, we're all teaching through Zoom now and it's sort of, we had to get used to it because it was very twilight zoney in the mm-hmm. beginning, but the <laughs> But the other thing is that, you know, teachers can should have more than one way of communicating with children. Can the children use the chat function to say, I need to talk with you? Can they email the teacher? Is there a phone number for the teacher? The teacher should try if they can to have a few different ways that the children can say, I'm worried, I'm scared, I'd, I'd like to talk with you or, you know, something's come up, can, you know, we have a chance to chat some way of letting the teacher know that that something is not right. The other thing that teachers can do is they then have the opportunity to look inside the home. Hmm. So they can see, are there things, you know, do they have a a 10 year old who's taking care of two, a five-year-old and a four-year-old? You know, are the parents not there? Is the home disheveled? Hmm. Um, You know, uh, what what exact what type of suspicions do they have that maybe something isn't right in the home? Um, and I also think you know another thing that they should just everyone should be looking out for is are are there bruises or is the child mm. does the child not look well? Mm. You know when when a child is hurt or when bruises occur, the child they're on the hands, they're on the knees, they're on places where kids fall. They shouldn't be anywhere. They shouldn't be on the, the shoulders or the face and things like that that should should make teachers think, oh, there's that I'm worried about that. And I actually do know of cases where um, people have witnessed violence going on in the background in a child's home right. when they've been on Zoom. 
And then that should be an immediate call to child protective services or the local authorities so that you know, they can go in and make sure that the children and are safe in that home. But, you know, the biggest thing is, is that go with your gut. As I say, yeah. if, if teachers are worried that something isn't right, it's probably not right, mm. you know, and, and, and explore it. Yeah, no, thank you for that. I think it's really helpful. Um, for some for some um, homes, though, online learning isn't accessible, is it? So, for example, even though we have the equipment here, our school aren't offering those online classes to our home. And I've got three children here, which is um, always fun in a, <laughs> in a homeschooling lockdown environment. So what, how can, um, how can maybe neighbors, you know, look for those signs, you know, um, of a potential um, child that might be in that abusive household then? You know, that is, you're raising such an important issue. And I want to preface it by just saying but, but one or two points. We recently, NYSPCC recently conducted a survey on across the United States on, mm-hmm. on Americans, perception of child abuse and would they report it? And right. what unfortunately we found about neighbors and, and people outside of the children's home is that many people are afraid to report abuse even if they think the child's in danger. And, and they said the first reason was that they thought maybe if they made a report, it would make it worse for the child. And that is not, that's just not accurate. If they make a report, the child and that family are going to get the help they need. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really important that that not be, you know, something that they're afraid of, that they're going to make it worse. No, they're, they're going to help the child. You know, the second thing is that they were afraid of retaliation. Oh, if I make a report, the parent's going to get back to me, then make the report anonymously. Mm -hmm. You are absolutely able to report anonymously. So please, please make the report and and you could save a child's life if you report anonymously. And then the third one was that they were just afraid to get involved. And I, I, you know, it, it pains me on the news when you, you hear of a child abuse case and they interview a neighbor and the neighbor says, you know, I thought something was wrong, but I wasn't sure. And and, and that sort of breaks my heart because they could have taken action. Mm -hmm. So if you, See a child, you know, in the hallway and they, they, again, the bruises, that's, that's a no brainer in my mind. That's an, you know, find out you don't have to, you know, you don't have to say anything to the child, but you can, oh, well, what, you know, how, how are you? How are you doing? What happened? Mm -hmm. If a child looks depressed, if the child's going out without an inappropriate clothes in cold weather, you know, if a child looks like they're malnourished. If you hear a lot of arguing and screaming going on in the apartment, or if you hear a child crying out in pain, Mm -hmm. those are all ways neighbors can get involved and make a call to either, I believe in where you are, it's 999, where I am, it's 911, um, and and take steps if if something's immediate. And if if you have questions, there's child abuse hotlines. Yeah. The National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. I was on their website the other day. They have several different ways people can report their suspicions. You can you can you can make a call, you can email them, you can fill out a form. I mean, they make it very simple. And then yeah. let the experts take it from there and investigate. You know, but mm-hmm. the 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 best thing I can really is is please take action. You know, the majority of children that are harmed fatally are the little ones. 
the, the infants and the toddlers. And so if, if you notice something is wrong outside the home, think of what might be going on in the home and yeah. take action, you know, take action. The, the other thing that, that I'm going to recommend because there's, there's is, is parents need support. So sometimes, you know, sometimes just saying to the parent, how is it going? And, you know, when the weather's good, can we all meet outside with our masks on? And maybe I can take the kids for a walk around the block so you get some me time. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's that side of it, too, that I think neighbors that 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 know that know the family or relatives, you know, can do in a safe way during mm -hmm. a pandemic. The pandemic has just put that extra layer of on everything but sometimes parents they just need a little time to themselves yeah you know, so they can distress yeah no definitely well thank you you've given us some fantastic you know signs to look out for tips you know even you know it's kind of using all our senses really but I suppose as a neighbor it's that listening isn't it listening out for what is going on um and it's all it's always seems typical to say what you know what is happening behind closed doors it's it can be secretive but actually it, it's not when you're a neighbor so I do think it's really important to you know be a community member is what I would say in in helping Absolutely. by raising you know those issues and you, you know like you said before with the teachers that gut feeling um yes so what what changes could we expect then with um you know lockdowns you know lifting I mean for here in the UK we're in a lockdown three at the moment um, so obviously we've gone through an ease and then gone back in, but what, what can we see when everything sort of is returning back to some normality then? What, what would it be like for, um, you know, a victim and for the services? You know, I, the pandemic has just put so many question marks in people's minds, you know, about what, what does the future hold? We're trying to figure out what next month holds. Yeah. I mean, true, you know, truly. And when will the vaccines be here? But I, what, what I hope for is that once children are, are back in school and they have regular contact with teachers or they're able to access medical care, that if they, they have had endured any type of abuse, that it, it will be able to be uncovered and that the family will get the support that they need um, so that they can continue to remain together, hopefully um, with preventive services or whatever's needed to restore that family. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, and I and I hope that the other thing that I know I worried a lot about was in, in New York, children get mo their meals, two meals a day at, at school. So if there's worries about food insecurity, I, I hope that will lift and that will make it easier on parents. And I hope parents that are home that maybe had jobs are going to be able to go back to work. Yeah. And, and, and then if they, you know, if they have jobs to go back to, but I, I, I'm hopeful that when it lifts, um, we will have a better eye on the children. Parents hopefully will get more support and the children I think will be, you know, and, and children, you know, they want to see each other too. Some children, I, I'm sure the isolation is, is not, you know, great. It's going on a year now, believe it. You know, yeah. it's like hard to believe it's going on a year now. But it'll be good for them to be back with their friends in a safe place too. I think yeah. I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for the future. 
Yes, so am I. And um, hopefully, um, I want to say coming towards the end of it, um, but I think it's going to be, you know, a foundation, you know, coming towards a foundation to be able to build on everything. Well, let's talk about your role at the NYSPCC um, because I've had a look and there's so much on offer, um, especially the you know valuable services there. So can you just give us a brief overview of the NYSPCC and um, what it provides and help to prevent the cruelty of children? Uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, we're the first child protection agency in the world. We were founded in 1875. So uh, historically, we were the ones that wrote the laws that started the child protection movement in the United States. The government took over that investigation and removal role in like the 1970s. And then we ended up doing other services to protect children and worked closely with the government and their role to support them. But today I have a clinic, a mental health clinic that's seeing children who are recovering from physical abuse, sexual abuse, witnessing the homicide of a parent, other mm -hmm. you know, domestic violence, um, other things, uh, traumas of that nature. We have a therapeutic supervised visitation program where children have been removed from their parents and we're working with the parents and the child to try to repair and restore that relationship mm -hmm. so that hopefully the children can eventually be returned to the parent. Um, the other program that I'm, I think we is, is amazing is we do a lot of prevention work. We have the largest child sex abuse prevention program in New York City called Safe Touches and it's a puppet show for children from kindergarten through the third grade. And it teaches them what is a safe touch, what's a not safe touch, who's allowed to touch them, what, do, what can they do if someone touches them in a way that makes them uncomfortable. You know, we go through the private parts of their bodies so they understand what's private and what's not. And it's evidence-based. We had a, a large grant to really test it out in New York City. And Right now it's being replicated um, throughout the United States, but also uh, in the country of Greece, where right. it's reached thousands of children in the country of Greece. So we're very proud of that program because again, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. We would love to just prevent children from being abused. Definitely. Well, obviously you um, also hold some amazing events on, on um, with the NYSPCC including I've seen the a successful live stream fundraising event featuring Bradley Edwards, who was the lawyer for the Justice for Victims of Jeffrey Epstein. So can you tell us a bit about your events? Um, you know, can, can they be accessed, you know, by anybody in the world, especially those that have maybe gone and we've missed? Yes, you know, um, we're in the process, actually, th this month of planning two more events, and um, we're, we're lining up the speakers, so I'm really excited. One's going to be in April, which is Child Abuse Prevention Month, and the other will be in October, and uh, we're, we're dotting the I's and crossing the T's to have a famous uh, actress at the uh, talk about her experiences um, as a child and as an adult living through abuse and, and mm -hmm. then finding her own healing way and, and now being an advocate. And that'll be in April. And then we're, we're looking at um, another speaker who agreed last night, but I can't announce it yet. <laughs> and 
teasing she, us. <laughs> she was, she's instrumental in setting up programs to protect children on the internet. Right. So, that is so yes. important right now. And they'll both be live streamed and you can, and you can register to attend them at, at our nyspcc.org. But um, they will be available to anyone that wants to zoom in and attend them. And I hope people do. Oh, no, that's fantastic. Thank you. That it sounds really interesting. And obviously, I feel you've teased us a little, you know, we <laughs> don't know the names yet, but I will look forward to the announcement of that. Um, so let's, um, I would love to know what is the most rewarding part of your role, because we have covered a lot of ground there. And you know, all the stories that you've mentioned and, you know, the signs and the symptoms and even the events that you put on, the this, this programs that you deliver, what, what is it that um, is the most rewarding part? You know, I, I think when I, I hear stories that, you know, the, either the, our therapists are telling me about how children have healed or how children have come forward. There was a story you know, we're right now working with Penn State University because they're replicating our Safe Touches program with the puppets all throughout Pennsylvania. And they've reached 14,000 children already. And I was at a, a Zoom meeting with them last week and they told um, a case example of how the puppet show is being, you know, Put out by, for all second graders throughout the throughout set five counties in Pennsylvania, and a little girl went home and disclosed that she was being sexually abused to her mother, and the mother said, "You know, hun, honey, what made you tell me now?" And she said, "I didn't know I could tell anyone what was happening to me until the puppets told me it was okay to tell." And, and that just, it just, it just hit home because it really makes you see what the value is in educating children mm -hmm. and helping them protect themselves and, and, and giving other children the ammunition so that they know what to do if someone does try to approach them. But it's, it's those types of stories where we know the programs that we have are making a difference and that they're being replicated. So, you know, I call us small but mighty. We're, th we're a staff of like 35 people. But, but when we can replicate the programs and they can spread throughout, you know, the United States and, and even other countries, then you know, you know, that you're really making an impact and protecting children and giving them the tools that they need to stay safe. Yeah, and clearly what I would see from all of that is making that difference what a difference that's making to, you know, those children out there. Um, so um, how can everybody find you? So um, how can people find you and your work and also the NYSPCC? Well, the easiest way is just through our website, nyspcc.org. We're, you know, we're in, and if you're ever in New York City and you'd like to stop <laughs> in, we'd love to have you visit. It's on, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> oh, well, do you know what? I want to say a big, a, a huge thank you for taking your time out to sharing what is a clear passion in your life and your work with the NYSPCC. So a big thank you to you um, today and for sharing everything with us. And thank you for everything that you're doing too. Really, mm. you're to be commended. Thank you.
A big thank you to Dr Mary Polida for giving up her time to talk to us about child abuse throughout the pandemic and for sharing her experiences and her career journey. It's such an inspiration to hear from people all over the world on this podcast. If you're interested in being a part of the podcast, simply email me, contact at jennifergilmore.com or you can head to the website abusetalk.co.uk and find out how to get in touch. You have been listening to me, Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. Both are available on Amazon. 